<laughs> Hello, welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host, Carlos Cooper, with me as always, Joe Hillier and Dave Gurney. And we're going to do The Unthinkable. We're going to talk about... A few films, uh, and I say films purposely, Capital, uh, pur- purposefully. This is beer and this, uh, films. This is beer and beer and a film. beer and cinema, <laughs> beer and, films uh, and pipes. Oh, guys. come now, come now. <laughs> and we are, uh, and we're gonna drink some beer. Um, and this first one comes to us from San Antonio, Texas, via good friend of the show, Martin Torres, uh, who was kind enough while he was up there visiting, uh, put out the call to his good friends and said, would anybody like me to pick up something? And their online order system was super easy to use. So this is Black Laboratory Brewing, which I have not been to. This is my first time even having their beer, I believe. They're out of San Antonio. Yeah. This is Plumberry Soft Serve, which is a milkshake IPA. And Joe, you were reading the rundown on... 7.4. 7.4. We like that. Ooh, That's ooh. good the, good region. The nose is giving me ingenious Froyo vibes, ooh. which you, if you've been listening to the show for any high amount praise. of time, you know how I feel. <laughs> That's high praise. This is the soft serve series. It uh, is the, an ongoing series. Yeah, the, the plumberry version of it. And the, you know, the, a series beer at a brewery like that is they find their ooh. base beer. Love that dirty water. <laughs> on their website they're using their Mox's IPA as the base and then that's then they'll add you know whatever fruit they're going for this time I'm Lact- getting lactose plum. I love that lactose to call plum. the milkshake yeah for the milkshake and you've got yourself uh, something that's got both of you guys I haven't even sniffed it yet very you excited better get to it 7.4 uh now, not to break the fourth wall too much, but this is the part where I tell you guys a story on air that I've already told you, and <laughs> I, and I tell it as if I'm telling it for the first time. I don't okay. remember your stories most of the time. So. <laughs> Neither does my wife. <laughs> Insert the... Uh, uh, hey! The, the, hey! Um, but, Tip your waiters. <laughs> but uh, on Friday, I think it was, I was in the shop, uh, the record store, and... Mind of my own business, guy walks in, uh, guy I've never seen before, you know, didn't think much New of customer. it. New customer. Yeah. Like to see him. Great to see him. Yeah. And um, I was listening to this Japanese funk compilation uh, mm. that you can hear tonight if you're listening to this the day of release for Wax Wednesday. I will be doing a, uh, a DJ set live stream on the 17th, is it? Yeah. It should be, yeah. Um, at 7 p.m. Uh, Twitch.tv, Hybrid Records TX, slash Hybrid Records TX. Um, anyway, and the guy comes up to me, starts talking about it. He starts talking about, oh, yeah, it's it's Japanese. That sounded kind of Indian, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. And through this long conversation of, like, you know, world music takes on American styles of music and, you know, this guy being in India finding these records, how'd you get there, this, that, and the other. Uh, come to find out... This guy was in a band uh, that was signed to Sub Pop, mm-hmm. which if you know you're a music fan, that's a pretty big deal. Sub Pop is a pretty the original home of Nirvana. Uh, yeah, right. I mean uh, that's probably their biggest their claim to biggest fame. Biggest claim but... to fame for sure. Highly respected record label uh, called Combustible Edison. Yes, um, lounge music exotica kind of in the midst of squirrel nut zippers swing revival kind of era same time parallel yeah, yeah. same time slightly different take but bringing back a 
retro uh, form of music right uh, in there, a there was way. a very retro uh thing going on in the 90s I think, yeah where a lot of reviving a lot of different musical and clothing styles from the brian setzer was doing stuff at that there time there you go yeah uh, yeah anyway so uh, i'm doing some i'm doing some office work the next day uh i go to put on one of their records and i, I have to stream it i don't own them um but then I'm like, oh, I wonder, you know, what the deal, you know, I start just kind of looking into the band, mm-hmm. just curious about it or whatever. Turns out they did the soundtrack for Four Rooms. What? Which if you're a, <laughs> which if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, well done, well done. you've probably at least heard of. Uh, I have not seen it, but Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, um, and then two other uh, directors. Alexander, who was the guy in the soup? Who, I don't know. A couple other, it was like. Four indie darling directors just coming off of David, some... that you and I can't piecemeal these four directors together is alarming. Please. Alexander Rockwell and oh, Allison Anders. Yeah, Allison, Allison Anders, Anders is the only one I would have gotten. I don't even remember the third guy. Alexander Rockwell. But this was a big film when it came out, David. I mean, I can't, it, we're a little bit apart in age, but, sure. but Tarantino had already risen to power. Uh-huh. Robert Rodriguez, you all know how yeah. I feel about El Mariachi. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, Desperado probably had come out. Uh, yeah. Had, yep. Right? Yes. And so... These guys working together mm-hmm. with two other, go. you know, big time at the time. Yeah. Oh, well, I remember going to the theater for this one. Yeah, me too. Me too. But anyway, you know, it, it was, I mean, they're a Massachusetts or Maryland based band, a Combustible Edison, yeah. uh, definitely the New Eastern England Seaboard, area, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, fucking so random. This yeah. guy walks into fucking a teeny tiny South Texas record shop and is just it is. And it's very, Christi, Texas, very yeah. casual about the, the, the last thing that he mentioned was Combustible Edison he talked about a bunch of stuff that he has done or mm-hmm. did he didn't come that. out and say I used to be in Combustible no he the, the way that happened is, is he yeah. he mentioned that he heard a bit of Indian influence on this particular Japanese funk track and he was like yeah I got you know I've been collecting more Japanese stuff lately but I I was at a time like obsessed with Indian kind of like disco and whatever uh you know my band was touring over there and I did these two compilations uh Bombay Disco and Bombay Disco 2 um for the label who uh oh my god I was just looking at it and off the top of my head I don't remember the name of it uh, soul Culture record? of Soul or Cultures of Soul Records okay. um and he mentioned that he was like, yeah, I've been a DJ for a long time. And, and then we started talking about DJing. Um, I think it was because he had, but by this point he paid and I asked him if he wanted a receipt and he said no. And he was like, ah, oh, but I don't know, maybe I should. I'm a DJ. I can write it off. And I was like, I write it all off. And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I don't want to give him any more of my money. And, mm-hmm. and so, and so then we started talking about DJing and stuff. And then it occurred to me to ask what the fuck he was doing in India touring. <laughs> like what band were you in that you were touring India, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, that's not a common place no, for, right. especially for like rock bands and stuff, which is what I'm more used to. Right. Um, and and, and someone he, that's bouncing through our town. Yeah. And then he said the name, but he also didn't mention the Tarantino thing. Yeah. If, yeah. if I right. were him, I would have been like, oh yeah, I was in this band Combustible Edison. Uh, you know, we put out some records. We did the score for a Tarantino movie. Uh, you never know. He I might, he might fucking... be somebody who soured on Tarantino at this point, and he doesn't like the association. Maybe. You know? there but are, it's there still are a flex. I mean, that's a big fucking flex. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it, that's I, cool. It would be, yeah, it was, it was cool. He was, I mean, he was a very nice guy. Yeah. So we got to sew the story shut by watching Four Rooms. I, 
That's I don't disagree point. with yeah. you. I've ne- I mean, I've never seen it. Work yeah. it um, There'll be another omnibus film that we'll want to watch, right? Brush that with greatness. I did. I did follow him on Instagram because I found I've, nice. I I'm terrible at social interactions, and so usually when things like this happen, I forget to ask people their names. Um, and in fact, a customer who comes in and every time he's come in, he's he be, he's become somewhat regular. He's come in three or four times, and we have like full length conversations every time. He asked me my name the other day because I never had properly introduced myself to him or asked him his name. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I just I just forget that part of <laughs> yeah. it, you know, but I figured out who he was. And uh, so maybe if we do it, he can come on and talk about it. Cool. Yeah, that would be, that would be fun. Well, guys, we're here. Uh, Carlos already set us up. We're talking about film. We're talking about cinema. And it, I suppose that's one way of thinking about it. We are certainly doing an episode where we're going back in time to look at some films from a particular director who's come up in conversation before and who came up just recently kind of off mic when, when we were talking about uh, one of our favorite uh, show favorite artists of all time, St. Vincent, Annie Clark. And she has a new album coming out, just dropped a new single, new video, fantastic. And in one of these interviews named Opening Night by John Cassavetes. It was a Twitter Q&A. Okay, Twitter she, Q&A. She tweeted out, uh, for you know, I've got some time. Ask me some questions or whatever. Yeah. And one of the first ones was like, "Oh, was there like a movie you were watching during the recording of the right. album?" And she was just like, "Opening Night" by John Cassavetes. Bang, bang. No, no, no waffling, no equivocating. Just like this opening was night, the John one, Cassavetes. Very plain. Which which got you excited about it? Yeah. And it didn't take anything for me to get excited about the opportunity to go back to some John Cassavetes. And for Joe, was this well on these very airwaves? Yeah. Uh, back when we did Rosemary's Baby, we said out loud, you know, and we you're one who do... wants to follow through on. Oh these hell promises. yeah, we yeah. Have, we have yeah. laid out a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> so let's follow through. Not with bullshit some of these though, because oh, it's it's documented. We follow up. And we, and we, it's on, episode. You know, come on, it's on a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's I a mean, spreadsheet. So, the data is collected. Yeah. I will do an audit. So it's not like we're just throwing it out there with so, no intention of yeah. coming back but, to but it. It's a blind, it was a blind spot. Huge yeah. blind spot now and I don't want to give away anything but right. huge blind spot. I had not seen one John Cassavetes film prior to this episode. I, and that's a glaring hole yeah. that I've carried with me and, and now I'm trying to analyze why haven't I? Yeah. Where is my desire to when I'm alone or watching you know I've got any time just to watch yeah. anything I want to really plug some of these holes? Maybe I'm just waiting for the show. Right, right. Yeah, no, the, I mean, to to your uh, defense, you know, these films were not big successes. But they're in every textbook about independent filmmaking. They are. They're all I mean, on the at, criterion. They're all criterion. Yeah, they're all sure, criterion. no, at this point, no, we, we have at this point, critically, these films have been uh, put into the canon in, in, in that sense, yes. But in their time, even, they were critically divisive. Right. And they were not hits with audiences in, in any stretch. I mean, you don't with, say. with maybe one or two... <laughs> with maybe one or two exceptions but anyway so we decided let's let's pair we're, we wanted to do opening night which i was ex- excited to go back to we're going to do that in the second half but we thought we'd pair it with his first film his first real feature as a director i shouldn't say his first film because he was also well known as an actor and actually used that in a way as an engine for his filmmaking throughout his career making money on the acting gigs uh-huh. that he could pour back into the projects that he wanted to do as writer director right um but we went back to 1958 to his film Shadows, which he shot in New York while he was there, you know, as an actor doing a lot of theater, but also a lot of television and had started doing Hollywood films. 
Did uh, we go back to 58 or 59? Sorry, 59. No, the, if you look all over the internet, both dates are attributed to this I think, film. Well, it's it was two versions. Being made. Yeah, yeah. There are different cuts. And that's why I was, I was wondering yeah. if somehow you had seen the original cut. Because I, I did. I don't think I've seen other I did than a great deal of reading yeah. about the original cut. <laughs> this uh, is going to be an interesting episode because I have done nothing but Cassavetti's research since I watched <laughs> oh, that's not great. just the first film and then into the second one, which I, I, I watched them both on the same day. Yeah. Okay. If I had more time in my life, I would have watched even more Cassavetti's films to further educate myself prior to this discussion. Well, they're out there and we can get them. I almost them. watched them on the same day. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I need. I need some time to sulk and need to, to, to stew in these. Okay. I, I got to spray. I, I, well, let's I, just I meet in the middle, spray. somewhere between 58 and 59. 59 right. Late 50s. But, um, this yeah. is a film that is made in New York. It is a film about the beat generation. Um, it, you know, it's kind of the tail end of the beat era in, in a lot of ways, but trying to capture some of that, focusing on a family, a, a couple brothers and a sister who all have uh, entanglements within the world of arts and culture, right? The brother is a trumpet player. Yeah. Uh, or not, sorry, not trumpet player. Um, singer. The sister, a an one, aspiring writer. One brother is a one trumpet One brother player. is a trumpet oh, player. Oh, right, right. Okay. Trumpet player, singer, and then uh, writer. Uh-huh. And so you have them, all these aspiring creatives, um, living in this vibrant city, going to these really exciting parties, going to you know, nightclubs. Throwing exo- uh, fun parties. Yeah, Bar yeah. Hopping. And you're seeing kind of like these snapshots of, of, you know, what's going on in their life. Now, the probably the biggest conflict in the film is that at a certain point, um, the sister does meet somebody at one of these parties. Uh, they start a relationship and it does not go well. And, and racial uh, overtones, I was going to say undertones, but it's pretty, pretty sure. squarely talked about, yeah. um, come into the picture there. I... Carlos, I, you mind? I, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The idea, okay, so I go back and I start looking into when, I had to remind myself, when was 400 Blows made? And we have not done true, any Truffaut on this show or any kind of French right. New Wave episode, and I think that's Maybe another whole hour yeah. little But it's life. right to be thinking about those guys. So I'm thinking, this is so close. I'm a huge fan of 400 Blows, and I've seen it several times. And I'm thinking to myself, this is clearly some copycat influence of 400 blows. I'm talking about the cinematic style, mm-hmm. the grabbing quick shots, the bl- uh, the black and white's not part of it because that's the era <laughs> right, that right. the film was made. Same but, year, actually. 400 yeah, Blows was 59. But they were made in but the same year. But to see a black year. and white film that has cinematography so mobile sure. and, and yeah. quick and fat, yeah. Yeah, handheld camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're made in the same year, I learned, that there wasn't a direct influence. And I... I I had failed. Okay, that's the dead end of my research on the topic mm-hmm. because I would like to read some analysis of the Truffaut and Cassavetti's link. Because when I say he's in every textbook, what I have read my entire academic life, mm-hmm. and when I say academic life, I mean my own education that right, I, I'm right. the dean of about film, which <laughs> is just a fun, it's what I do. Yeah. You see that Cassavetes is the "quote unquote" father of American independent filmmaking. Yeah, you'll you'll see those kinds of designations where you talk about his style, his his financing, the idea that it's made with non actors often, yeah. and you've heard of this all your life, 
and you see this film, and of course it is a, of course it is a classic. It's an instant classic. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear you. It's say an this. instant classic in my. Where have you been all my life, Cassavetes? You know what I mean? Why? Why did I delay this experience? But isn't it fun at my age to be able to have these explosive introductions to filmmakers? <sighs> I, I, this week was so exciting. Well, great. Watching the films for the show. I was a bit intimidated by them, I will say. Really? Kind of, yeah. Um, what I was saying earlier about the 5859 thing mm-hmm. is the... So it says at the end, this film was an improvisation, mm-hmm. which is kind of a half-truth, because uh, the version that we presumably saw... You watch on HBO Max? Yes. HBO Max? Yeah. Okay. So the film that we saw is the second version right. in which Cassavetes went back and kind of actually wrote some script for it mm-hmm. um, because the first version was very Took out a received. bunch of the music, too. Took out a bunch of Charlie Mingus's music as well. Um, but the print of the original version was found in an attic uh, of a former junk store owner. Okay. And was reprocessed and exists, but the Cassavetes estate has been very intent about not letting it be shown. It was it was shown for a uh, it, the tape was given to the daughter of a film professor, I believe, mm-hmm. and that film professor used it in a class or something. And now it has been it's you know strictly kind of like this is not the version to be seen, right? I really want, obviously, especially because I can't. I want to see that version. Okay, more, so the version that we saw that HBO Max, uh, that the every, and that's so mostly Criterion every version. Yeah. This out, is yeah. the version that people goo goo and gaga over. Yeah. We're, okay. I the mean, one this is the one. There's some Blade Runner stuff and other. We could go yes. on and on. No, there, there about are which is the definitive version to watch. I believe we right. watched it. Yes. Okay. The, I mean, this is the one that everybody knows. That there, like Carlos said, there is this other version, but it's rarely seen. I mean, so do. You, did you find out? Is it something that you could find a streaming platform or? A, I don't no? think so. Okay. Um, that would be like a underground have to go, yeah, DVD right. illegal rip. Uh, yeah, um, which those. I'm sure it's possible sure. to find anything. Find anything these days. Um, I mean, that's it. I I I did I did enjoy this movie a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. There, there are some things about it that are kind of jarring and make it a little difficult to uh, get your footing, um, i.e. the fact that a white woman is playing uh, an African-American woman. Um, right. That takes a second to kind of just be like, all right, I'll go with it. Yeah. It's in black and white. Maybe she's just light-skinned, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, or it, at, at least because of because of that and seeing what you're seeing, trying to piece together the nature of the, uh, the, the siblings, you mm-hmm. know, maybe there's an adoption thing or what, you know, is that going to be a, something that comes into play in the narrative of like, Oh, this is a white girl who has a black brother. And so when this white guy freaks out about it, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm white. Like it doesn't bother me, mm-hmm. but she's not. Um, so that, there was a little bit of that that was, it took me kind of a second, but once I, once I kind of got, a, not got over it, but once I was like, all right, this is what we're doing. This is fine. Yeah. I'm good with this. I get it now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I, I thought it was very good. I mean, it's, it is, it's very, I think for me, one of the most interesting things about Cassavetes is being able to so clearly 
see how much he's influenced things after mm. that. I mean, Joe Swanberg. Oh, yeah, like, sure. M- Mumblecore put it on your exist. put it on your tombstone. Yeah. They owe it all to Cassavetes. Oh, you know, know, like that. they know. Uh, I, I yeah. know, but yeah. it. You know, for like kids my age that were coming up like in college and film school yeah. around the time Mumblecore was a big thing, and that went to the art museum to see Swanberg screen films and stuff which i didn't do but you know i was in school at the time i just didn't know about it you know they might not realize that oh there was this whole other yeah version of it before um that uh, made it possible for people to conceive of being able to do this kind of filmmaking yeah um and i do and i do think it's very interesting the idea and it's interesting to see it unfold that the story comes from the characters uh-huh. and if you can create really fully developed, well-rounded, completely fleshed out characters, yeah. those things will drive the story yeah. in a way where you don't need to craft this big thing yourself. Uh-huh. Just like put the elements in place for right for things to happen. Yeah. Uh, These are real people that exist in the world, you know, like, and, I, I bl- and so sh- point the camera at them and let them do things. I blame my film professors at my David? radio, TV, and film uh, studies at college, because uh-huh. why wasn't I introduced to Cassavetes there? <laughs> I was introduced to Citizen Kane, et cetera. Yeah. But um, what a glaring hole. Uh, Shadows, to Maybe, me... Probably because it's very dense. It's very dense. It's also... Reminds me that you forgive all kinds of mistakes. Uh, the, yes, these are untrained actors. You can kind of tell. Uh, sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes. Uh, some audio syncing. Uh, yeah, or... audio. Uh, some strange yeah. camera jerks. You forgive all of that when the story is so dense. The idea, what year? We just we did In the Heat of the Night in an After Hours when it, it got bumped. Right. What year did that come out? Can you remind uh, me? 60, was it 69? Okay, 69. So, and I know that Look Who's Coming Home for Dinner, uh, who's, Guess Who's Coming Home for Dinner guess was who's coming to dinner, yeah. a year or two prior. It was, the same, it was the same year. Right. The entire story was done better and more effectively in this film. The idea of race breaking up a relationship or race being a tension right. point when the races try to combine. Yeah. 67. And it was done here so effectively and used in such a beautifully tragic way mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the film where, you know, it's 1958, shot in 57, I would have guessed. Yeah, yeah. That that's the story that in 2020 is still having to be told in an education manner mm-hmm. with films that we saw like Mangrove and we saw so many fantastic, you know, black film. 2020 mm-hmm. is a great year for black film. But that these are the stories being told in 1958 so honestly and stripped down to the core of the emotion of the heart of the matter. Yeah. is what makes the his films and the film we'll yeah. talk in the second half exactly so beautiful. What a right. amazing filmmaking voice. And and I won't say it anymore because it's going to get boring. Yeah. The idea that I've never seen one of his films part of now is sinful. Yeah. I think it, it does a great job of certainly I think how it portrays the racial conflict and how it plays out. I think it handles it really well. Um so I agree with you there, but I think the one thing that I guess surprised me about the film when I first saw it years ago, and even when I go, is it, 
you know, that becomes the headline of this film, but it's about so much more in the sense that, again, is, you're yeah. seeing these people live their lives. You're seeing other tensions. You see the the brother who's the singer who wants to be singing kind of an older style yeah. and not keeping up with the times and not being hip enough for the beats, but suffering for it and not, you know, so you see this artistic integrity that, he, you know, like, is he going to stay rooted to it? His manager kind of pushing him in one direction, kind of love the relationship that they have too, as it unfolds over the film. His voice was very jarring to me. But I, once you get used to it, it's, <laughs> no, it was, it was jarring the whole time. I, I find, I like people with real distinct voices. He has sometimes. a very distinct yeah. voice. It's very it was, kind of, it was kind of funny. Yeah. Because he's but a very tall man. The parties that get depicted, the yeah. thing parties that struck me is like, I was watching it and I was thinking like, in some ways, I need to think of this film more like I think of Dazed and Confused or I think of, uh, um, you know, uh, Lover's Rock, which we just watched recently. It's very similar. You know, like I'm seeing this milieu, this social phenomenon that existed in a moment in time, people coming together, certain music they gravitated towards. A peek into a world. Certain art they gravitated towards, certain ideas, Mm -hmm. existentialism, right? They're, They're discussing existentialism at the party, which at the time is like on the tip of everybody's tongues in terms of this new philosophical turn that they're all curious about. The French existentialists would have been like pretty contemporaneous. Yeah, Yeah, that was was like the the moment I mean, this is, you're watching like hipster culture unfold in the birth of hipster culture in that moment. It's, so watching it this time, I think I appreciated that a little bit more and I kind of just enjoyed the, I don't know, just the mise-en-scene of these parties and the way they were laid out and where people would sit and what they would do, how they would approach each other. Um, you know, when uh, Lilia first meets um, the guy who's eventually going to burn Tony. her. The, Tony, thank you. Um, that love develops quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she just jumps right up. I mean, that was one thing yeah. that, uh, similarly to the fact that you have white people playing African-American characters, yeah. that was the second thing that was the narrative second and final thing yeah. that I was like, no quicker, really? no quicker than in coming to America. Well, that's sometimes sure. fast movie yeah. love is just a yeah. convention you got to use. Yeah, right. For sure. And, for sure. and not to say that, the, I mean, again, this but it was, was like a night. <laughs> this was a genesis of like free love, you know, the, the seeds of free love, which would more blossom with the counterculture of the city. She lost her virginity that night, correct? Yes. It seems so. so of course, yes. for her no, no, in did. that, yeah, yeah, in that yeah. notion, she that would have been a very special thing. And we see Tony as the lech that he is. We're watching the guy play the game sure oh yeah uh, when they're baiting for girls on the telephone to right. come over because they're bored playing poker yes and hey, can you bring six girls please because there's six of us you know whatever well, the and, numbers and, and the three guys that are just going into any bar they can trying to find any dame sitting alone yeah. that they can chat up broads mm-hmm. broads yeah and oh god just, some of the lingo it's it really is it's it's kind of i've only ever known this caricatured version of that but seeing it in its moment when it was really i mean i the think they were yeah and, you know, i think they were just depicting oh, that was cutting edge the, thought i mean yeah. that it, it probably well, it might have <laughs> yeah. no, introduced mean, yeah. some of that language right. to certain parts of america or yeah. the world depending sure. on the distribution of it yeah 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 i mean it was it was very genuine and authentic Swingers. you know yeah yeah, yeah. introduced it's so time. fucking money yeah but it introduced to the rest of the country the notion that swing music was having some kind of right, revival in right. LA and then but that became that helped usher in sure. that the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is influential in some of those, you know, the Beatles when, when we first all see their shaggy haircuts and then Americans going out the next day to buy them. Yeah. This film was influential among those that had had the opportunity to see it, which of course is going to be the intellectual film circuit set. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, of which yeah. I am gladly house. a card carrying member. Yes, <laughs> I pay I, I pay my dues every year. I pay my dues every time I spend twenty dollars to watch a film like Minari. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Here we go. That's a callback, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I but yeah I it. It it, it it reminded me very much of the kinds of indie films that I love currently, and it was a joy to be able to see that it is a thing that has been around for much longer than I have, and that there is a well, wealth and, of this type of material to return to. Yeah, and also, my I, point. in my, yeah. my reading of these films... I have found, and we'll talk more about this in the second half specifically, but that Cassavetes is not a one-watch filmmaker. No, no. probably not. I, th- I think that minimum two times to oh, really... Oh, you see repeat viewings of a film before you feel fully confident. To you, really grasp, because his films there's are a lot dense. Of there's a lot happening. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and because, uh, especially Shadows, is not a... Here's the first act and what happens. Oh, obstacle. Let's see what's going to, how they're going to overcome it, you know, because it's a more, like you said, just a window in. It's kind of meandering and it's kind Mm. of just like things are just happening because that's how life happens. And and when you, there are conflicts, but there's no single conflict that really takes everybody's attention. And once you've seen the roadmap, Mm hmm. And where and where the final destination of the film sure. is, then you can take in some of the sights along the way. Yeah, when you see it yeah. a second time. No, these which, reward multiple viewings. For which sure. you well miss question the for first you. Time. You were intimidated. You've you've had the introduction. You've consumed, and now was the intimidation valid? Yes, they're very. They're very dense. I thought you might say no because dense can scare some people. I don't want these two. These are these aren't like puzzle films. They're, they're, no, they, they, they're, they're not, not Nolan be, films. They're not going to feel above you. I feel like people who struggle with Cassavetes, who can't come around to the stylistic choices, and we haven't really belabored that. But I mean, the, the cinematography and the fact that it is mobile has a liveliness to it. It's also frustrating at times the way that things get you know blocked and framed that. You're not necessarily always capturing the actor's expression when the line's being delivered. You yeah. may be over the shoulder, and it's and kind sometimes of that's especially in shadows by vert by by necessity of yeah, kind of not amazing audio recording. Right, uh-huh. right, and and so you know there there are these kind of technical potential failings, but. But, yeah, but you see that same shit in Clerks, and that's Kevin Smith's first intimacy. film, and we forgive it. I right. Mean, so I, I'm just saying that there are things I think that people will find to be challenging about these films, but it's more like the visual, um, even some of the sound where, where it doesn't quite line up. I feel like if you can that get over that. And then the and then the narrative, the the lack of the kind of clear conflict-driven narrative. Sure. That, that you don't get here that I, I think I, is challenging I, about There this. are crossover films from the art scene, and, and that was the phrase that was used at the time, art an art movie. Mm-hmm. That this is, this really, that term was very interesting at the time because it really did elevate the film to yeah. something larger than going to the movies on a Friday night. Right. Um, but the clarification, how as it's evolved independent film but now that doesn't quite mean what it did when it first we first started using these terms certainly not no. at this point this film is challenging in that all the reasons you both have listed 
but sometimes those films cross over. Pulp Fiction is one that crosses over uh, into more of a mainstream audience, and I understand why these didn't, but that's what decades well, of study had, yeah. is I mean, that, that's able a whole, for us yeah, to that, do. It, we can now catch up with them. There I, wasn't somebody at this early stage, and you know, it, it's a good point, like I, here being the film history person in the room, I, I gotta say, you know, yes, he is the father of American independent cinema in many ways, but there were independent producers before him, sure. you know, and the beginning of cinema is about independent production. And the, the cards shuffle as they do as you begin to look at but it historically. But he is the beginning of a certain kind of approach to right. it that then definitely influences those, but then it took business folk, I hate to say, like the Weinsteins in the 90s to really turn those kind of things. Exactly. Turn it into something that could actually make big profits because Cassavetti's never figured that out and nobody else distributing his stuff Mm -hmm. really figured that out, nor did they really in the... You know, it wasn't until the 90s. And you're also an outsider to the normal game. If you look at the... I, I I wish I could recite them to you now, but I always like to go back when we do a film like this and say, would this have been the... Uh, the crying game of its day, a film that breaks right. into some kind of mainstream the way Midnight Cowboy did, yeah. you know, in a, in a large way. Uh, we could have a game where yeah. we pick other films that did that. And it did not. Right. It, this film gained steam later, uh, yeah. later as it became discovered, like much like Citizen Kane actually did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't critically or audience received when it first came out. Right. Yeah, it's it's funny to think about the kind of moment that a film like this existed That's right. in, right? Where yeah. 1959, think about what would have been on television. Like, was that Leave it to Beaver era? That was the, uh, you know, Ozzie and Harriet. You would have had yeah. those kind ben of families. Hur was the Oscar winner Was the Oscar year. winner that That's year. That's the kind of cinema that so was the, attracting the American audience. This would have audience. been so, so starkly different. Yeah. different and so exciting. I mean, if you were... I imagine like twenty something uh-huh. smoking it, cigarettes, living in uh, you know a, a more remote place that happened to have a screen uh-huh. show this the midnight and thing. Saw it, like New York is this kind of exciting yeah. area where there's yeah. people like going out to clubs and yeah. listening to jazz. Yeah. I mean, Gunsmoke was, was the number one that, series. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's the the visual and the technical stuff is not the barrier. I, there really isn't necessarily a barrier of entry for me because i'm willing to go into things that mm-hmm. i'm intimidated by i'm willing to take on that challenge yeah, all, all three of us are that way we don't mind a challenge when it comes to this medium but for me it's because he is um not in shadows um but you know in some of his later work maybe slightly i, I mean he is meandering in this a little bit but a, slightly a breathy filmmaker you know a uh, yeah. and even in even in this one he uh in, in reading about the production, um, there was he rehearsed the actors until they were comfortable enough in their characters that they could feel like they were performing without saying anything, um, and just like existing yeah. as the character, uh, just facial expressions, reacting. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, the films aren't dense content wise. It's not the way that like MTV era stuff is like visually dense, where like there's a cut every five seconds or 10 or 15 seconds or whatever. But it, because you have, because you're left to sit in certain moments and certain, you know, moods and things like that, what exactly he's getting at can be somewhat 
tough to gra- to grasp onto at times. I what his perspective just, is, whether he has an actual opinion on certain yeah, things that he's like, because well, yeah, I, no, I, I think I as a filmmaker, like he's, he's he wants to leave these as open questions for us. He wants to like totally. provoke us to yeah. think. He's like, here, this is a thing that happens. But here is yeah, a very this is honest, how people muddle through. This. Yeah, but here is a very hmm. honest, as true to life picture as I can give you of an interesting scene in the country that you live in. Yeah, is, it, I, is it this interesting? And I yeah. think, I, and I think it's the fact that like. I can tell with somebody like him. You can tell by the 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 choices visually, the choices narratively, the choices it, that the actors are giving. That this guy has something to say. Yeah, like there is, you know, there is a clear a, clearly a point to this. Yeah. Am I going to be able to figure out what that is? Am He's I going to be able to put it together? I think he is one of those you know? filmmakers, and there's a few. I mean, I think Swanberg's one of them who's just fascinated by humanity, fascinated by human behavior, wants to right. see people be people on screen, and felt like this approach that he took with his actors, where he was an actor and wanted to let them just like fully inhabit these characters and kind of put the full emotional reality of their existence as best they could across uh-huh. for the camera. It. It's pretty amazing to see when a filmmaker really lets that go. Because again, ceding control to the emotional reality over the narrative flow of the film, I think, is a potential uh, obstacle for a lot of audiences, right? Like if, if they don't feel that through line, then they're going to get lost and they're going to... Well, the they've been the trained, But they've been trained to believe, Certainly. to understanding what those... Right. I'm just saying the way we're conditioned to watch most films right. will not work for a film like There's not Shadows. a lot of closure. Sure. Yeah. So that's why I show your kids independent cinema ASAP. Show, yes. Begin showing it to them. Here, here. We're Make gonna... them eat their vegetable. <laughs> this isn't, but these are vegetables. I these completely are completely agree because I love vegetables. Yes. Are, they're made correctly. Yeah, we got to find a better. Vegetables are better You're than on steak. the right track, but we got to find a better medicine. This is a nice smoothie. Yeah. It, well, is it a nice plumberry soft serve that we're having? <laughs> oh, I feel like oh, we're going oh, to keep Matt. talking. I didn't, I didn't do it on purpose, but that was so good. good. Yeah. That was good. I mean, I never drank a beer faster. I've never drank in my portion of <laughs> 32 ounces. Can confirm more being, quickly. Being the one that sits next to Joe and we eat. You know, a little a little inside baseball for the listeners. We when we when we started this, we were splitting a sixteen ounce can like some kind of what fucking crazy doing? people. I mean, <laughs> like that's not enough beer for everybody. Well, then again, we were recording uh, two episodes. We in were a row. two episodes yeah. at a time. That's true. Um, but there are two cans at play whenever we're recording this. Uh, Joe and I split one, and then David has one, and then David's can ends up getting yeah. mixed into David, Joe. David's yeah. not yeah. over there um, to drink a whole can by himself. He no. wants to share his portion of the can with yeah. us. And so we end up, it, it ends up being an even split, but as the one directly sharing a can with Joe from the jump, I did witness him have to reach for yours sooner in the recording than I think I have seen to date uh, in the so post-COVID uh, era of the The only movie. thing that I can do with this information is ignore it, because I will not be judged or, <laughs> I mean, observe all you want, but I won't be judged. It is, I, I was just I, I take not it judging. All, I take it, it all as a very good sign. That's a great I sign. I wasn't yeah. having to wash any terrible taste of anything, because no. if you haven't figured out, I, I believe that you should go seek out Cassavetes and... If you've got a streaming platform, chances are one of the films is available to you right now. Absolutely. Probably more. And honestly, you should have HBO Max. There's a lot of good stuff on there at this point. I mean, are you pitching for HBO Max on our show? Come on, man. I look, man. I watched until the, they start giving. Us I watched that the Mummy. Money. I watched the Mummy this morning. Yeah, I, they had that available for me. I got to relive my childhood cable television 
hey glory years you used it for shadows and uh, the mummy i'll get okay i'll, I'll and i'm halfway through prometheus right now uh, I haven't this seen was that a very a successful episode half <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 so i'm a big fan of this this is my first time having black lab same um never had them before and i'm i mean i'm it, living up to all expectations yeah pleasant yeah. uh great nose the no floaties at the end, which I'm always happy about. Yeah, that's I'm interesting. Usually grabbing you know, those last few sips. There wasn't a lot of sediment. No, but this was a solid, solid milkshake IPA. I mean, I would love to find some more beer from these guys. Plum is plum is not a like common. a go to yeah. or a common like flavor for me or fruit. It is a sure. fruit, right? It's it not is, like yeah. one of those ro- rogue vegetables <laughs> no, or no, like no. how how a tomato is actually, tomatoes a, fruit actually a fruit. Yeah. It's not something Plums like that. Plums have seeds or pits. That's, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I actually don't know that I've ever had a plum now that we're talking about it. But if if I if I saw this amongst some other beers because of the plum aspect, I, it, you know, if it was plum and s'more stout, I'd probably just be like, ah, oh, s'more stout. You know? <laughs> I know that I like that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in that. That being said... I like this beer quite a bit. Like, I like this beer a great deal. I think it's a very, very good milkshake IPA. So I can only imagine that the other installments in the series that contain fruit that I am more uh, fond of and more inclined to, like, be like, ooh, a strawberry milkshake IPA? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, Uh those, if if I like this, those have to be, like, soaring heights, like, incredible beers. Uh, Because this is a very, very good beer already. Yeah. So... I mean, fucking a man. <laughs> well, it's great to start off. An this beer's on fleek. Like, <laughs> I know you're bringing it <laughs> bringing back. On you're bringing it back. back. Um, you know, it's great to start an episode like this where where you get to, you know, really talk about a film, which which is a rich piece to talk about. So many different things that got brought up there that yeah. I loved hearing about. This beer matches it with its own kind of complexity. It I does. think with with the uh, integrating the fruit flavors with with the milkshake. Um, aspect and then still having that kind of IPA base that's notable, it's, like it's right, still it's there. still an IPA, yeah. and it, it does have that slightly bitter finish, but nicely balanced. The whole experience, like you, Joe, it was too easy to throw back. I drank my portion pretty quickly there. Um, excited to try everything else that I can get my hands on from them. So exciting new brewery here, exciting new filmmaker for some of us. And when we come back from the break, we're gonna. St- Keep on with that same filmmaker, but bring another beer into the mix. Then we're back. All right, second half. <laughs> Of our Cassavetti's spectacular. Coming in hot. Coming in hot, baby. Yeah, how can um, you not? So. Carlos has brought nothing, us a beer. Yeah, nothing left for us to do except open up another beer. Yeah. Um, this is one that came into uh, my go-to bottle shop here in town, uh, Lucy's Snack Bar downtown. Um, and I was kind of surprised to see this um just based on like the delivery schedule or whatever for mm-hmm. a rogue jester king offering to make yeah. its way into the cooler um and also not a style that uh i associate with jester king which makes me even more curious about it made me even more eager to go and pick it up um but what we have here is the pattinson 
reporter from Jester King out of Austin, not the Robert Pattinson. Shit, I was going to say we should have saved Close, this for Batman. Yeah. Uh, Pat, Pattinson, <laughs> Pattinson. I can. I think I can think. There's a, a couple bottles. Can, can left. we go backwards in in time to do the no, Tenet episode tenet. with this? Uh, that's no? what we should have done. Okay, okay. Um, the Pattinson Porter was brewed with a uh, friend of Jester King and beer historian Ron Pattinson, so pretty close to Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Um, its inspiration lies. How do we in know the, it's not just Robert Pattinson with a mustache. I mean, he might just be doing a character. It, this, he, he could be full. Method. Okay, he could this, be full we've method. belabored this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> its inspiration lies in the hardy porters that were present in East Germany during the early to mid twentieth century. Heavily toasty, highly hopped, and Brett Brettanomyces refermented. These beers stood out in both their time and ours, unfiltered, unpasteurized, and 100% bottle conditioned. Look at these guys. But I Jester King, this. sometimes they flex, yeah. and, and it just like, you end up taking a, a bite out of like a, a just totally, uh, you know, flexed bicep. I don't know how to think. Whenever they flex really well and it works out, it's awesome. But sometimes they flex and it gets a little weird. This is exciting. I like their dark beers. I've had the black metal in the past. We have had it on the show. Right. Um, Not the OG, but... Right, right. A batch of it from from some point. Um, I've had the funk metal. I've had... A few of these darker beers. I have not had this one. This is my first time having it. I'm excited to try it. Jester King, bring it on. This, I mean, this is actually, this is a pretty new one. Um, Also, uh, they just released a stout, uh, the Doom Forge. Oh, yeah. Uh, Was that a collaboration? I think maybe. Okay. Um, Yeah, Jester King is one of those American bucket list beers that most, like, beer nuts like we are. Uh, want to try no matter what well, part of the country you live in. It's not, it's not that new. They introduced yeah, it in August of 2019. I think you were going to you were going to say, David. I mean, our proximity to Jester King is a bit of a blessing in that sense because we have access. It has been. We yeah. have access. How even if you get it in ways that we can't talk about on air, it is and <laughs> it is starting to get distributed down here as well. well here yeah. we can uh, talk totally fully on here it about is. this yes. because this was commercially available in our city. Yeah, which was that a, I a love new development. Yeah. The uh, the availability of Jester King here has been a really nice, uh, you know, w- that was 2020, right? So 2020 did bring us some good things here in the Coastal Bend. They did. Yeah. Uh, we're going to jump into... We talk- had choices. We have choices. We had choices. Which Cassavetes film would we be doing next? Right. Right. Well, we started with this one. Yeah, I mean, I... Let's <laughs> go with it, man. I was trying to get you there. Okay, take two. I, yeah, no, I was thrown off because in the beginning I well, talked about... we were talking about, about St. Vincent earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Go ahead. All right. That's a tee up for one of y'all. Yeah, we were... I, I follow St. Vincent on Twitter. I love Annie Clark so much. Maybe more than life itself. Yeah, maybe, how can you may, not? Maybe really my reason for living. If, yeah, I'll just know it's off topic. But folks, if you're listening and you haven't just tried some St. Vincent on for size, please go go listen to Mass Education. Go listen to uh, Strange Mercy. Go listen to any. Self-titled album. was the one yeah. that got me into her. There you go. Um, I mean, she is a guitar god as well as a, a songwriting god. genius, as well as a fantastic uh, singer. Performer. Her live performances yeah. are outstanding. If Insane. you see any live clips of her, you're going to go nuts. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Truly, truly remarkable artist in general. Actress. She was, uh, <laughs> I mean, she was in that movie with Carrie Brownstein that was on my That's 2020. Right. We haven't seen it yet, though. Most anticipated, yeah. but it hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Um, and she, she makes some guest stars. Uh, she has some guest uh, appearances on Portlandia. Right, right. So if you're a Portlandia fan, you have encountered her 
uh, so whether when, knowingly or not. But when she, somebody like Annie Clark tells us this is the film that was playing in my mind or that, that helped structure this album for me yeah. in some sense that that's I was coming out of. May 7th, I think, uh, daddy's home. Yes, yeah. Daddy's home. Yeah. So this right. being a big inspiration on one of my favorite artists, new record, uh, the single from it already being very promising. So I'm definitely super excited about the record. Yeah. There's what else is there for me to do except say yeah. to the group, we got to do. Oh, we got to. We got to talk about this because yeah. I got to. So there, it. there were a lot of other though. It, I mean, to Joe, you know, Joe was kind of bringing up that we could have done almost anything because yeah, if you start with Cassavetti's first film, where do you go next? There's so many great options. Um, we could have gone, you know, immediately after like the next real Cassavetti's film, Husbands, mm-hmm. um, v- very testosterone driven tale with, uh, you know, him and Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara. Love that one. The, you know, get into w- Woman Under the Influence, which we discussed a little bit, thought about doing that. Jenna Rowland's real huge film. It, it, it appears on all those lists on the Internet yeah. of all the nobodies that make lists of uh, mm-hmm. that uh, it being kind of generally his most lauded film he was the one that got the most awards recognition yeah absolutely uh you know even some of the later stuff like gloria or or love streams that kind of came in the 80s towards the end of his career sadly when you know he did die pretty young from uh cirrhosis so yeah 59 yeah which the, the fact that he was an alcoholic uh to some extent would you know, play into this film. Here. Certainly <laughs> would. So, so we could have picked a lot of films, but opening night being Annie Clark's uh, inspiration and also being a film that as soon as Carlos mentioned that I hadn't read it on Twitter. So you were the one who shared that with me. Yeah. Um, it was exciting to think, Oh, that's, that is one of the films Had that I remember. It? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That I kind of, so, you know, I came to Cassavetti's when I was, you know, just coming out of college there were some seeds planted. One of my favorite bands of all time, Fugazi, they have a song called Cassavetes that's very much about John Cassavetes on one of their albums and on the Kill Taker, favorite album of mine. So way back in my high school years, I knew, okay, this guy Cassavetes is somebody who I should... And then in college, when I took film classes and I started looking at more art cinema and stuff like that, I was never shown a Cassavetes film, but... That was in the back of my mind, like, oh, that's one of those guys that I need to see after I think. And so finally, I did get myself around in the DVD era, being able to go to the store and rent these films. And you know, I was able to see Husbands and Woman Under the Influence and eventually Opening Night. Uh-huh. And I remembered really loving Opening Night, but not having rewatched it since then. Woman Under the Influence is one that I've watched probably at least five or six times. Okay. I've used it in class. Shadows, similarly, I've watched it probably three or four times at least, and I've definitely used it in a class or two. But opening night, I had never revisited after seeing it okay. the first time in the 2000s. And it tells the story of a actress, Gina Rollins, who mm-hmm. is his real is Cassavetti's real life wife, and, and they worked yes. together a lot. Myrtle Gordon. Right. She plays Myrtle Gordon, who is clearly a very... Very successful actress, at least in the Broadway New York scene. Well, we find out late, late, film, late yeah. in the film that she's like a movie star, right? right who is now appearing on Broadway, right? She, That's like the last like half hour of the yeah. movie that that information is revealed. She is in pre-production on a play, and it is up for uh, critical viewing out in. Um, they're doing previews yeah, before previews. the opening night, yeah. Where you New Haven. Live, where it's still the way that they do it now is a play that's in pre-production will go and have a run right. 
where it's not to be talked about or spoken about or shared you know, the opinion of because it is known still to being be worked in, on. In worked, worked yeah. on. And they'll use audience reaction to tweak. And anyway, they're they're building up to opening night in New York City. And that's the climax of the film is the actual opening night. But we're watching a play being put into the final stages of production with a actress who is loved by the audience. One of the first scenes we see, her mobbed by fans, paparazzi, people, you know. One of them being a young lady that is struck by a vehicle while she's pursuing the actress. And that haunts her for the rest of the film. It makes her question that we don't know. I guess we, we, we we can surmise that this is the critical event that makes her begin to question or maybe she was questioning prior to, but it catalyzes that notion that maybe this project in its current form is not good for my career. Yeah. And she begins to not only play and and question the play, mm-hmm. but play with the play without explaining to the other actors what's happening right. to the frustration of the producer and the director played by Ben Gazzara. Ben Gazzara. Incredible. Yeah. Manny Victor. Yeah. No, Ben Gazzara. It's very good. What a this. funny experience it is in my life to have, you know, introduced to him through Big Lebowski. Yeah. and uh, um, happiness in in the 90s. And then, (laughs) you know, again, then in the 2000s, as I'm trying to get my, seeing these Cassavetes films, and it's like, man, this guy, no wonder the Coens wanted to work with him. No wonder, like, this, yeah, he is outstanding in this film. But she is clearly, if not an alcoholic, someone that's abusing alcohol to avoid some pain or some things in her life. She's self-medicating. And she begins to see the girl that was killed and there are seances, and I mean, there's, this film kind of goes all over the place. Like she feels she's being haunted, and shares that um, with uh, the the writer, the screen, the, uh, sorry, the stage writer right. uh, for for the play, who's played by Joan Blondell, old uh, classic Hollywood actress who did a lot of comedy back in the day. It's kind of one of her last roles um, that she shows up here. But you know, yes, Myrtle is kind of plagued by this vision. Um, and and as Joe has already put it, it's it's not really even just what this girl represents in terms of like a fan who was killed and like maybe the callousness of that, but it's like her age, lost and, youth, yeah, lost youth, and this kind of turning point. Those times career. in my career are over, and I will not get them back. There's and what clear, will the rest of my career look like, and yeah. how, can I manage that at all? Clearly, some kind of although you don't get all of it. I mean, that's what, so one of the things that you're going to love or hate about Cassavetes is he does not fill in all the gaps, no. right? We don't get backstory on these characters. Like Carlos said, we don't get confirmation that she is a film actress until near the end of the film. Yeah. We don't hear like, you know, like crazy and, late in the film. And there's not a lot of other and there's a lot of other things that are just will withheld entirely. Like we know that she doesn't have a family life, right? I mean, she doesn't seem to have a husband or children. We don't really get a full sense of was that ever a thing was that ever although it seems like it kind of was because of some reaction she has it's all very like how how dismissive she is of the director's wife and the relationship that he has with her and how he it's all very complicated and you know there's tons of backstory with these characters and you know that they've worked together before right the the character that's uh played by cassavetes in the film Maurice. maurice um, is her stage partner is pl- is playing you know against her in the play mm-hmm. as the other sort of one of her love interests it seems, but clearly they also had a relationship earlier on like off stage and, right, it, right. and who they are so layers upon layers that are never fully developed, um, 
But I don't want that to come off sounding like a criticism <laughs> because I don't need it to be developed, and nor nor should you when you watch it because it is the lived inness of those moments that you do capture in these moments where they're making these kind of choices about the play or they're dealing with the choices that Myrtle's trying to make yeah. that uh, are just fascinating to watch. And this and these are, especially this film, actors who are really digging into what it's like to be part yeah. of a a working unit in the yeah. theater. You know what I mean? Like playing off one another both on stage and off stage and the kind of complicated dynamics that arise because of that yeah. fully on display. I, I have said many times on this show how much I love the how it's made movies, how uh, movies about making a film, movies about being on stage. This shows, I think, a very accurate representation of high, uh, uh, high level theater, meaning the amount of money that is at stake. Uh, having to hire these very high named actors and actresses and 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 getting a show to Broadway is no easy feat when it comes to the finances of it. So mm. we're talking about a high level of production here. It plays it so so well, I think, and so accurately, at least it feels that way, which is all that I can gather from it. The nature of those hidden relationships, David, that are you're right, are never fully exposed. Mm-hmm. The idea that we're leading up to the name of the film, the opening night. And we believe, we understand better than the rest of the people involved in this production, the level within which she intends on sabotaging the entire play. Yeah. So when we get to opening night and she is not there, we know the running time dictates that she will show up, that there will be some kind of resolution. We're getting close enough to the end. But when she shows up hammered... Hammer, <laughs> and can't stand get black coffee in this lady of uh, stat, you know. And knowing that we're going to watch a play, it is so believable. I, I I can't think. I know I've seen Gina Rollins in film is yeah. it later in her life, later later in her life when she was doing you know, el- older female roles. Yeah, I never saw her the in notebook. any of this glory. Yeah, and, and, and even here she's yeah. older. In she's her part career. of the old couple, I think. I've I've honestly never seen the Notebook, but whenever I bring up Jenna Rowlands, I think that you're absolutely in correct. class because I've shown Woman Under the Influence in class, and a lot of people will yeah. will my students will comment, "Oh, that's the lady from the Notebook." I'm like, "Oh, you just wait." This is- <laughs> <laughs> she's incredible. You cannot take her eyes off her. Did what you- a fantastic central player. Hold on, my brain is frying here. Uh, the Notebook was directed by John Cassavetti's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What that's the him. Fuck? That's that's we Nick also share directing his mom. Yeah, Nick Cassavetes has made some good films. I haven't seen that one, so I can't comment on it. But, oh, uh, John Cassavetes rolled in his rolled over in his oh, grave when oh. he took well, okay, that job. Let's, I, I don't okay, want to get Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it's, I was I, kicking to you now on your. I, yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I just got really fucking freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> by that particular I, fact. Before I, before I forget, as you were talking about that, Joe, did Black Bear occur to you at all when you were watching that last 100, segment? Huh? 100%. I 100%. Do, don't you want to interview Aubrey Plaza and ask her how much she watched opening night before When uh, it came back around to me, yeah. if that had not been brought up, I was going, of course, to bring it up. Absolutely, 100% the, I thought there, about There that. is nothing but influence in the whole last scene of Aubrey I had forgotten showing it. I, like up drunk. You didn't make the connection back then. Well, no. When I saw Black Bear, I had forgotten about that. I mean, as soon as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah. she. 
Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Aubrey Plaza shows up shit-faced to yeah, do the most yeah. critical part of the scene. It's right. the exact same plot. Little point. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is, and I, I, I mentioned it in the first half of the episode, watching this film was such an interesting experience because it's a film that has influenced so many things that I like, I feel, yet I had never heard of. Like, there, this film has... This was one of his films that was literally not seen. It not didn't seen, get distribution. barely got made. It went to a couple festivals. It really did she, not... She won an award at She did. One at, of them. Uh, Berlin, was it? I think so. Yeah. But, but other than that, it was not seen. It wasn't until, I think, the 90s that a distributor picked it up and decided to actually do a theatrical run that it started to gain some interest. But, I mean, that's... It's a big uphill battle when you don't even have that moment of its initial release where yeah. it's really a thing. Anyway. But I mean, there's so I mean, there's just so much in I mean, I I saw I mean, I heard John Carpenter in the score a little bit. I mean, it had I, I'm not saying because Halloween was so close to this, yeah. I don't. I don't think he was directly influenced right. by it. How about that opening? Uh, the with the, the audience, stuff? dude. That's that was horror. That, it that was, was horror, horror there, score. No, but the, so that's the thing about this movie is there are horror elements in yeah. this film. There's no and, shortage of articles that I looked at that talk called this a very strange corner of horror. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wouldn't call it a horror movie necessarily I, I don't think i would quite go that far i i i read some similar articles that kind yeah. of make that leap a little bit I, I i don't know that i would do that but i can see how i don't know maybe being in rosemary's baby kind of influenced you know having had some experience sure. in the horror genre maybe he unconsciously brought some of that stuff over in this given the very tense and you know violent subject matter of certain parts of this film um but this but i mean there are parts of this score that are so intense and so like reminiscent of like horror film scores. And, but also, I mean, one thing that I thought of and I, I tried to watch it as soon as I finished watching this movie. Um, I mean, I mean the color palette is, is very, Drift? no, the, oh. the, the color palette is very distinct in this. I mean, you have these really vibrant reds. Oh yeah. 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 That's like a motif throughout the entire thing. And yeah. for some reason, like the look of it really reminded me of, uh, the cook, the thief, his, his wife, wife, and her yeah, lover, yeah. which I've not seen in yeah. a very long yeah, time. Which I think turns up the saturation. It does. Oh, yeah. sure. No, no, yeah. no. That, I mean, that movie is, uh, that's, that's a, movies come up but a this lot is, on this show. This is it's more, hard to find. Uh-huh. Yeah, the DVD this, is like fifty dollars. Oh wow, I have a I copy. Try, it's I not try, streaming anywhere. I, no, it's not. I because I, I like I said, as soon as I I watched this movie, yeah. And like I said in the first half, once I saw the roadmap, I wanted to go back and take in mm-hmm. the sights, especially the. So I went back, and the second I finished this movie, I I watched an interview with. Uh, Ben Gazzara and um, Gina Rowland. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's interesting that may or may not be common knowledge is that the end scene with Gina Rowland and John Cassavetes playing against each other, right. 100% improvised. Was it? They had never okay. done any that's of that prior to that. Right. Um, 
the part where he's like trying to punch her and she's like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. stuff like that. Never done it before. Grab each other's had, feet. Had, yeah. yeah. Had no yeah. idea that was happening. It literally all was improvised in real time. Yeah. And Ben Gazzara said, actually, he was like, oh, so this is what they do when they go home. They kind of talk about these things and maybe kind of flirt with acting out some of the right. scenes. And she was like, no, we had never discussed that yeah. before. She was hearing some of those lines for the first for time, the yeah. very yeah. first yeah. time. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. Like, so I and figured, so it's, I it's amazing it's because and so his film's reactions are very genuine. But as soon as I finished the film after I, I watched about half of that interview, I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, I went back and I turned it back on again. Oh, you watched I, it all the way through? No, I watched about the first 45 minutes okay. again because there was so much, because the movie is so long yeah. that some of that stuff kind of half hours, yeah. kind of gets lost. And I also had to pause in the middle yeah. of it. Um, and so I went back and watched it again, knowing what I know about the end of it. Because uh, because by the end of it, I really started to question that girl that died in the, was that girl that died in the beginning real at all? Right. And then... Rewatching it, I was like, "Oh yeah," because she went to her parents' house. Yeah. So, Shiva. Yeah. so it was real. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, no, her appearing later but it, but wasn't yes, real. I, I think um, that. Well, I, but it, the thing that made me but question it was but it's visualized, so they, we don't know. I mean, they were all so cavalier about it when yeah. it happened. Yeah, that remembering that scene in the limo is what made me think. Like, was that? Did she just make that up? Like, yeah. was there a car accident, but no actual person getting hit by a car? Like, what? Because yeah, this film does so, it's very dreamlike at times, and like especially yeah. when she's having those hallucinations. Um, this is, and it's yeah. just like it's really a film that you live in. It's a film that sure. you just get absorbed into the world really? and into the characters, and like because the tone is mm-hmm. so, um, it just like envelops you in the mood of right. it and the, the ca- era, the, the costumes, the what era, the wearing, costumes, the, the characters are so developed. Yeah. And the suits so that the guys well. are wearing. Even, the ca- even yeah. uh, Manny, the director, yeah. even his wife is like, who is not really in it that much. No, is but a she has a couple good formed, scenes. I mean, his like, scene where he first goes home and you get to see their like, relationship at home. Yeah. and they, Like, it's a pretty fun scene yeah, uh, between great. them that has some tension, but also she some also, real humor to also it. Also a lot it, of... Imp- also a lot of improvisation in that scene as well he did not know he thought she was going to play it more pouty and right like and then once she started kind of getting in his face and rolling Playful, over doing yeah. all this stuff he was he didn't know that that was what was yeah. going to happen up in yeah. zara um, it's so interesting there's a lot of that stuff that makes it really lively and like, yeah because clearly they do a lot of work i mean it, it, i know a lot of people who want to um who studied Cassavetes, wanted to write about it, you know, make the point that his films actually, especially after Shadows, got much more rehearsed and uh, and scripted. Like, he did a lot of pre-production work with his mm-hmm. actors, working through scenes where they did do a lot of improvisation, right. but then he would nail down, this is what I want, this is the line we need, this is the thing. So there was a hybrid that was going on, but then there were these moments that he still allowed that kind of full-on improvisation yeah. to, to still happen. So, you know, he's a guy who gets out of, I was going to try to rogue beer it, in terms of being spontaneous and and improvising here. Go for it. But I think I fucked myself because I don't have a corkscrew, do you? Uh, I I do in the other room, yeah. yeah. See, that's a, that I, I screwed myself over. I brought these spawns from Jester King because you were having the Jester King. I'm like, let's be spontaneous. Like, Cassavetes and his actors. Oh, my God, look, this corkscrew has magically appeared. I don't know how it happened. This, I, the table, 
next to me it was empty there was just the were you a boy scout there was <laughs> there was just I, the bottle opener and then all of a sudden yeah. the universe provided that's did. fantastic all right so i have this is uh i actually have a couple bottles this is a 2017 spawn spawn is jester king's spontaneous this is uh the beer that they do that is their wild fermentation. I love this series. Um, but yeah, f- folks refer to it as like goose-like. We've had Spawn on the show before. Yes. I think we have. Yeah, You're right. Have. Um, but we're going to have this 2017. Uh, this is the first three-year blend that they put out. Mm. This was a blend of three different vintages, 2014, 2015, oh, and 2016, of 100% spontaneously fermented beer inspired by authentic Belgian Lambic. So I'm going to go ahead and open this one up. And then I have another one that they did in 2018. Like a double row. And that was the Raspberry Cherry. I think that might have been the one that we had on. I, Similar blend. Raspberry. Oh. I, don't, I don't remember the cherry. Okay. I think I've had a raspberry version of it, but not raspberry right. cherry. I could be wrong. Well, well, I'll get this one open and we'll start drinking that. But opening night, we're, we're talking about here, spontaneous acting at moments. Yeah. They, the actors getting to find out what unfolded right as we're getting to find yeah, out what and, unfolded. And like I said, you approach that opening night knowing all of the stakes. The producer has discussed the financial obligation. Ben Gazzara, the director, has talked about how, to his wife, about how much he needs this to be a hit for his career. Mm-hmm, she's yeah. struggling with aging and the idea that she's about to, and she knows she's about to enter some kind of next phase of her career where she's considered the older mm-hmm. actress you know when Ooh. all of those actresses oh how's it smell spontaneous it, it, complex i mean <laughs> definitely definitely a sour definitely definitely farmhouse definitely sour but uh a lot going on there i'm excited to hear what you just guys like think. in a cassavetti's film yeah there you go and all of that is explored the death of the younger girl yeah I I remember Who's very good. Huh? The actress of the She was yeah, and she comes good. back to deliver even more of a layered performance. I remember working in the video store when uh before, before Blockbuster existed or at least was in my city and being able <laughs> to in the get video jaw hinges. Uh, <laughs> being able in the video store to take to take anything home that was left over at the end of the night. And it really is where there's a guy there who was an older dude who knew a lot about movies. And that's where my like first primary yeah. burst of film education occurred. Right. And so when I discovered Scorsese, we had five or six titles there, including Boxcar Bertha. Mm-hmm. And when we you know and going into a new filmmaker and and falling in love for that with that first film, mm-hmm. which probably is never not your favorite film of that director, that mm. first one, and then journeying. So I think that, I mean, without seeing any of his other films, that Shadows is first, mm-hmm. and this one, which is so, got so many elements in it. David, I, Carlos, you hadn't watched any Cassavetes prior to this. I had not, no. Um, oh, uh, no, yeah. I, I hadn't, a, a name I know. Yeah. Um, I've seen it. I'm a, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Criterion Collection in general. Like, I, you know, at one point was very heavily collecting those copies of you know films and i still have some of them um but it was one that you always saw you know because the criterion collection they do these like half off sales like two three times a year or whatever and so you go and you're like oh half off let's see what all is in here and you start scrolling through and it's like okay here's like all the cassavetti stuff and you notice them and this is also something from that interview that i listened to with ben gazzara 
and Gina Roland, they talked about how because in indie film it's so hard to even just get a movie made, let alone promoted and distributed, that Cassavetes really was like, okay, well, let's make these really striking posters and put them up places mm-hmm. and, and to get people interested. And so when you're scrolling through that Criterion collection and you see those John Cassavetes covers, they look, they're like, ooh, what is this, you know? And so it's something that I've always known I needed to get to and never had. Well, so David, if you're like me and Carlos and have never watched a Cassavetes film, did we do the best job making entry? Or how would you guide people through that? Because clearly having taught many of his films in your classes, you're the one of the three of us to ask. Yeah, I, I you know, my my feeling is I, I think starting with Shadows is a great idea. I, I actually think it's important to maybe have seen a couple of his films as an actor first. Make sure you've seen, you know, maybe Dirty Dozen, Rosemary's Baby, Rose 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 Baby, sure. Uh, you, you know, just just I make think, sure. I think got the I actually, uh, Academy Award nomination for Dirty Dozen. I think you're right. Yeah, like, supporting actor. Yeah. Accurate, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, strangely enough, last night I happened to be up late and I cat I caught a film that he was in from 1955 on um, on TCM Turner Classic Movies, and it was it was it was fun to see him. What film was Shadows? It? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry. I should have looked it up beforehand, but. Um, the bottom line, see some of his acting roles. Yeah. He's a good actor. See Shadows. From there, I don't know that there's necessarily an absolutely must see. I think it would be great to pick one that has most of them from then on have Jenna Rollins in them pretty prominently. She's definitely the featured player in Woman Under the Influence. And I don't know if we I mean, I don't know if we said it mm-hmm. point blank or not, but she is outstanding in this film oh yeah yeah Gives she's outstanding an unreal performance all of the films that she did with her husband and pretty much anything i've seen her in she is a highlight of those films she's always she's really very good. Yeah. very good so um, she she brings a kind of intensity and dynamism like she can really kind of turn on a dime yeah. sometimes and, and where, she, yeah. she's very brave she, she didn't hold back on no anything. not no, even here. a little bit i mean if 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 this was some kind of autobiographical notion of her coming to terms with her own age Mm -hmm. in the world of cinema. She didn't shy away from making herself unattractive. Yeah. No, she, she doesn't have a vanity about her that very, very strong. She, she's warts and all in these films. Um, you know, in woman under the influence does have the advantage of having Peter Falk in it with her. Another, regular player in the Cassavetes films who isn't really an opening night other than at the very end he shows up at the the opening night he's out in the the lobby you know you you get to see him a little bit there so an, another fun tidbit I, I did re- yeah a lot was revealed in that interview mm-hmm. um in the 10 minutes of it I watched yeah those are not extras that are there for those scenes yeah he just put an ad in the Pasadena paper like play tonight hey come by we're shooting this movie. Yeah. Come by if you want to be okay, in it. Yeah. And not only did people show up, but as you see in the film, they showed up. Suit Dressed. and tie. Yeah. Long and and from from what she said, they were this incredibly gracious bunch of extras who were very patient through yeah. the forty-five minute camera yeah. changes and. You know, some people went out to entertain them and things like that a little bit, but they were just like, yeah, cool, we're here. I don't know, fuck it, why not, you know? And Yeah, uh, that's incredible that they were able and, to put it together yeah, like and that. So a lot of those audience reactions, because they didn't really know what they were seeing, right. are very genuine. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to remark on, because it was something that I thought, or that I really noticed and enjoyed a lot about this, 
and finding out later, there's a kind of, you know, we talked about in Shadows how there's a lot of, he took a lot of people from the acting uh, school or program or whatever it was that he was teaching, uh, Cassavetes. Mm -hmm. uh, So they're non-professional actors. And there is a guy in this movie who plays the big mustachioed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, John Tuella, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he was a teamster, Mm -hmm. uh, not an actor. And they just cast him. Mm -hmm. And um, Gina um, Gina Rowland said that Cassavetes had rehearsed that group of people from that particular scene of the play a lot more than the rest of them. But I thought that guy was really fucking good. Yeah. Like I really liked him. Yeah. And to find out that he had never acted before this was like, dang, it's, that's pretty amazing. Talking about the producer of the play. No, no, no. no, The the, the, mustachio guy. Oh, the guy that would mist her down with water. The guy, no, uh, the guy who um, in the play was married to her oh, 15 right, years right, prior. Right. Oh, yeah, okay. He's kind of got the okay. bell-bottom yeah, yeah, pants yeah, yeah. And, exactly and, and, and he's about. trying to fight that other guy and yeah. stuff. She visits um, his home first, her ex-wife. Yeah. yeah. Her ex-husband. Yes. Ex-husband, ex-husband. It, yes. And, and in, in the very beginning, he's like, come on, all the restaurants are going to close. You're going to get hungry later. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to, based on that interaction, I was like, oh, this is going to be like one of the main guys and he's not. Yeah. You know, Amarisa's, and also again, not super familiar with Cassavetes. It took me a while to be like, "Oh, that's him." Okay, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, agreed. Um, same, same with everyone in this film. I mean, there's no one that I really recognized, and so I knew he was in it, and I was like, "Oh, which one is he?" You know, and um, but I mean, it's a fucking great movie. Like, <laughs> I just, if you can, if you can have the patience to go along with a two and a half hour kind of, you know, character study and go with her through all of the you know twists and turns of her trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with yeah. the the play and like also watching her fuck up all the scenes is it's so fun. fun it's fun <laughs> it's, it's like i mean there's because there's you're some tense there. there's some cringe like stuff tense, there's, there's yeah. some there's some moments where you can feel it's going but then there's some real humor that bursts out of it too yeah. and there's the times where because during previews this stuff happens i mean like it's not you know, it gravitates away from that. It becomes more extreme as it goes on. But, uh, you know, it, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, great. I'm, I'm glad we got to watch this one. I don't think there's a wrong way to go through Cassavetes. I will say... Where should I go next? Yeah, for you, I mean, I, I feel like you're a chronological guy. So I feel like you may just want to jump back to, to Faces, Husbands. I, I think I'm, gonna I think I'm go, going Faces. I think next. I'm going to go to that one that everyone says is his best. The, Woman under the influence, and then I'll do a chronological okay. thing. Yeah, but I, they're already selected on my just watch. They're all in my watch yeah. list. Yeah, and then there are some, you know, there's some odd films I haven't even seen. There's a child is waiting, which was one uh-huh. that he did for hire, kind of in the mid '60s. That was kind of a bridge between shadows and faces, but I've never seen that. That was a United Artist picture, right? And one that he wasn't very happy with. And there was there were a couple that he Judy did towards Garland. Yeah, there are a couple that he did towards the end of his career that he was uh, not not totally happy big with. Big Trouble does not sound good. No, Big Trouble sounds bad, even though there's some <laughs> good there's some good bad. folks in the cast. But yeah, it, it sounds like it did not go the way he wanted to. And uh, yeah, anyway, so but but staying away from those, I think you're you're pretty sick. I can't wait. Yeah. So this this was kind of fun, and I'm still going to open one more. But let's talk a little bit about the Pattis. Uh, Pattinson. Pattinson Porter from Jester King and and then also maybe these rogue Jester Kings that showed up after the fact. 
I thought the Pattinson was very strong. It, I mean, you get you get a little hint of the Britannomyces, which, yeah. God, I wish I had more opportunities to say that word on well, this podcast. David's favorite word to it's, say. It, it might be mine as well. Mm. It's a great word. Um, That's the Lost Cassavetes film. We'll do that once they <laughs> dig it up. It's the Britannomyces. He, he shot it in Belgium. It uh, was yeah. about brewers. It's all one, about monks. It's all, it's all yeah. one take. Peter Falk is a yeah. brewer. Jenna Rollins is his wife. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, it. you know... Uh, Paul Rubin's first film, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. It, uh, well, maybe we'll talk about Paul Rubin's in the after hours. There was some shocking news uh, that came came from his direction. Huh. Uh, All right. Recently. Well, yeah. Let's keep that for um, after hours. Stay on this. Yeah. yeah stay on that. Don't uh, promote anything. God damn it. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/movie/podcast. <laughs> but like I was, I mean, it gives you a little bit of that kind of hints of sourness to the porter yeah. that I think actually kind of leans into like some of the sweeter flavor profiles that you get in a porter sometimes yeah. very well. Um, and not in a way where it's like, wait, why is this dark beer sour? It's like, Oh no, I kind of understand how this is working together. Um, I, 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 I thought the Pattinson Porter was, was, was very good. The problem with the Reese's peanut butter commercials from the seventies, you got your chocolate, my peanut butter, you got your peanut butter, my chocolate is mm-hmm. that we love the combination so much that we understand that it's a joke. Yeah. Those two things just go together. They do. Jester King comes with this big, bold reputation of excellence when it comes to these farmhouse yeast, you know, the wild yeasts, and then they, they have tamed the B word that I'm not going to attempt to say and embarrass myself trying. But when you try to combine Back that Michael with C's. other... When we have a porter on the show, we understand exactly what is to be expected. When you blend these two types of styles together, it can be shocking it, it, the two things don't even compute going together so when jester king tries to pull it off there's a lot of fanfare there i'm not convinced that my personal palette is in alignment with trying to blend these yeah. two styles the darker roastier beers with yeah. the sour but i yeah. forgive anyone immediately mm-hmm. for enjoying this in a way that i'm just not quite there yet I understand it. It, it. It's a it's a hill to climb, and there's not many that I like. There and, and there's not many, right? Bl- in general, bl- yeah. Blue Owl out of Austin does a great uh, sour cherry stout. That that I, is a very good yeah. beer. But that's a kettle sour. That's a little easier to do. I I say that right. you know, but it but it's a little more they predictable. It, yeah. I think they can sort of refine that recipe, and they have, and they've nailed it. Jester King with what they do with the live culture stuff is always a little more. <laughs> dicey it's a, it can go wrong it can, it can go it can a lot go, of different ways but they consistently do it in ways that i am impressed by this is included in that along with the dark metal along with funk but like they know how to pull this stuff off i love this porter it's not a porter that i would give just anybody it's certainly one that i would want to have somebody um who understands what they're going for, but wasn't it fun to taste it alongside this spawn where it's a little different because they're obviously, they're pulling these from their air, but they did that to begin with. They cultured mm-hmm. their, their house culture includes right. some of that. So you can yeah. feel like the flavor overlap is there, right? That kind yeah. of farmhouse barnyardy kind of brightness that comes through is there in both beers. I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah, and we have gotten into like really high-level beer geekery uh, (laughs) talking about that. But high-level film nerdery and high-level beer geekery. I I welcome both. But I I, I agree that the... 
the three-year blend was very good. Um, it wasn't quite as tart as I was expecting, though. Okay. It was, dare I say, earthy? Yeah, maybe. A little bit, uh, yeah. Is the word I'm looking for? I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes you can really get in the weeds trying to find the exact right, right it's, term. It's tough with, for, with these farmhouse ales. Because they are that so mixed, complex. That mixed fermentation that's going on, there's not a single through line right i mean it's yeah. it's like a it's like a cassavetes film there isn't just one conflict Ooh. that we're looking at here and you almost never know what you're going to get yeah there will be evolution but there will be similarities i think jester king and cassavetes may be though. the best pairing we've ever done it could it very well could be because there is a there is a certain refinement to the technique but a certain varying um output yeah um but this raspberry cherry one I'm getting a sweetness that I really like. Yeah, well, the fruit brings that. Yeah. There is no sweetness in that th- three-year blend. No, there no. is not. In fact, there is a understated carbonation issue with that. Yeah. It, it almost screams for an adjunct. Oh, okay. It's too, collaps- too prickly. It's too- co- collapsing on its own for mm-hmm. my personal palate, but I have to agree with you, the uh, raspberry and cherry... Oof, this is probably my favorite of the three that we're discussing right now. Mm-hmm. Followed by that porter. I want to go back to that just real quick. That that those the collision of those two styles is awkward to understand until you begin getting into it. There is an allure here, and I think it's just that Jester King excellence. That even if personally it's not a great match, you can tell that the care and the and the and the the worry that went over this beer has produced something that I would begrudge no one for enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a big part of the, the way y'all get on to me about the El Chingo. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I think that, I think the kind of thing about the, I don't know, farmhouse darker beer thing is that, I mean, I would say even for me having had some experience with those styles and being a fairly adventurous beer drinker, that the first sip is always a little bit jarring. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be just like first sip. Yep. Cool. Let's, you know, like a totally normal thing. Like it, it's always going to have a little bit of like first sip. Whoa, that's different. Mm-hmm. Second sip. Okay. I see what's going on here. Right. Third yeah. sip. Oh yeah, this is really good. And so, you know, you get about a fourth of the way through your glass and you're like, Oh yeah, I really get what's going on. It, take, here. This it is takes very a bit good. to acclimate to. Yeah, it. yeah, it does. Just like you have to see a Cassavetti's film twice. I think that's, <laughs> you have well, to you, you have to sip a dark sour. You, you twice. gotta you gotta be willing to go to his wavelength in order to make it work. And you kind of got to do that with a sour, a darker sour beer if yeah. you're going to make it there. Darker. How, how long had you held on to these two spawns? So the, well, three one was 2017, years, one old. was 2018. So I guess that's three you know, and four years. We're old. looking at four, three, and four tonight years. is a special night. A special afternoon. A special afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for yeah. opening those with hey, us. Hey, well, was, thank you for yeah. sharing. It's it's fun. I'm I'm clear. It's all stuff. next level yeah. beer. I mean, <laughs> are we really kind of getting into the weeds here? If you've made it this far in the episode, it's because you probably like beer, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you wanted to hear oh, some of the beer if you never had conversation. It. Yeah, and Get you it. know, if you're having a hard time with it, let us know. We can probably provide an assist uh, or a trade uh, for something in your area that oh. we haven't had before, and that's. Definitely on the table. You've said too much. Uh, I've said too much. Um, but what we haven't said too much about, what we might not have been able to say enough about, was Cassavetti's, John Cassavetti's. And 
the beers enjoyed on this episode. Um, but if you have ever enjoyed any of these beers, if you have seen any of these films, if you are excited about the new St. Vincent album that is coming out on May 7th, pre-order at hybridrecordstx.com, uh, <laughs> you can contact us. You can commute, you can, uh, get involved in a conversation with us similar to what we do here on this show. And you can do that on social media. That's, uh, Obviously on all your favorite platforms, Twitter at Beer Movie Show. Find us there. Instagram at Beer and Movie. Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX. And as you've heard us allude to over the course of this episode, we are going to get into even more on our after hours bonus episode. That is the time where we not only crack another beer, but we talk about absolutely anything that we wish to talk about, not just movies, but TV, music. General tomfoolery. Uh, Ted lasso Yeah, the Ted Lasso, the famous Ted Lasso check-in. That's patreon.com slash podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. You can donate less if you like, uh, but you won't get those bonus episodes. You just feel like you've done something really, really nice for us. Or and you can donate more, um, and just you know, if you got it like that, flex on us. Donate ten, twenty, fifty, hundred dollars a month for those bonus episodes. We won't be mad at you. Um, but this has been another fantastic uh, mind or like film scope broadening, generally uh, just great episode of beer and a movie (laughs) um until next time hollywood are you waiting on a sign for someone to come on bust a genre you poor city of shame ask me what you're needing i'll front you his name because he was the one to send it with truth that's something from someone in jenna (laughs) rome